you have to be really good at what you do in order to deliver the customers enough happiness that they willingly open up their own pocketbooks and give you money in return. Helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is Entree Leadership. Now, here's your host, Ken Coleman. Coming to you from the Music City, this is the broadcast of leaders, by leaders, for leaders. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. Here's what's coming up in this episode. Derek Lido is our feature conversation. He's the author of the book, Building on Bedrock. Uh, This is a lot of fun, this book, as he looks at what the great startup leaders have done right. And this will encourage you starters, people that are doing it on your own. It's really important stuff. Don't miss it. And then Brian Williams stops by. He is our executive vice president of our church division. But Brian has been on multiple teams in multiple business units. And when I say on the teams, he's led those teams. And we wanted him to come in to talk about how he has adapted and led in each of those different environments. Some very practical stuff coming your way there. And of course, we're going to bring you some great resources. So let's get right to it. Derek Lido is a global CEO, innovator, and entrepreneur right now. He is a professor at Princeton University. Uh, This guy has built big companies, sold them, cashed out, and now he's teaching the next wave of entrepreneurs. And I love his approach. This is a research-based book. You're going to hear what some of the greats like Sam Walton, Walt Disney, and other great self-made entrepreneurs did right and what we can learn from them as we look to build our companies to their greatest value. Here is my conversation with Derek Lido. Well, Derek, this is a treat to have you with us. I know you've got a lot going on, and I want to get right to it. I find this fascinating, this book, and I don't always lead with, tell me why you wrote this book. I don't really like that question that much. But in this situation, how you decided to choose the entrepreneurs, the great businessmen who uh, you really build this book on, Building on Bedrock. How did you come about this particular way of teaching us about building valuable companies? Well, Ken, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I really have been looking forward to this. And the people that I chose to tell stories about in the book, Building on Bedrock, uh, were chosen very carefully. It took me probably a couple of years of going around and talking to existing entrepreneurs and doing research on some of the all-time great entrepreneurs to decide on a mix that would give virtually everybody who read the book some connection, some set of experiences and traits that they would recognize in these people that they could apply to themselves. So we have people of all types of backgrounds, all types of education, all types of genders and levels of education. And it was a curated mix. Yeah. And it it really is fascinating because it goes anywhere from less than $5 million to Walmart, you know, we were talking about in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And so as you begin to select these people, so now you've got a good mix of people that really apply to all of our audience as well. 
Then you start diving into their stories and you begin to see patterns. And what I love about this book, I'm a question nerd. I love questions. And I, I smiled the first time I opened the book and I looked at your table of contents because it's a bunch of questions, literally who, what, why, what if, how to, how good, how much, where, when, whether. And I thought, well, that's really interesting and fun. And there's a reason why you did that as well. Why do you select questions? Then we'll dive into some of those questions and chapters. Ultimately, these are the questions that I get asked all right. the time. So I want to answer them, but I want to answer them in a way that has nothing to do with giving a lecture, you know, mm. in front of students, but it has all to do with telling stories that people can relate to. And so the whys and the how muches and the whens are all illustrated with actual real stories in great detail that the people can resonate with and then come to their own conclusions about what they want and their what and their when and their whether. Mm. And before we get into that, I want people, because I find it fascinating with your really unbelievable litany here of success stories in business. I mean, you really have an unbelievable background with being a global CEO, a researcher, startup coach. You sold your last startup for $100 million and you thought, well, what do I do next? I'm wondering what it was like for you to decide, well, I'm going to be a professor at Princeton. I think that's so cool that after all you've done in business, you go, take me to the classroom. What have you enjoyed most about it? Always getting pressed in the yeah. classroom. Right. At least the, you know, my classrooms are discussions and, and we go over cases or articles and the like. And the students, they don't believe anything just because you said it. Mm -hmm. They have to figure it out for themselves. And I think that that's true for most people, that you have to figure it out to the point where you can feel it in your gut. And boy, is that challenging. But that's what keeps you both honest and also what helps you be a great coach to others, not just in the classroom, but all the other entrepreneurs that you come into contact with. Okay, so I want to take our listeners and viewers back to the subtitle of the book, What Sam Walton, Walt Disney, and Other Great Self-Made Entrepreneurs Can Teach Us About Building Valuable Companies. I raced through the 12 chapters, 10 of which essentially are questions, are formed in a question. Some of them, what word, chapters, chapter two, who, chapter three, what, chapter four, why. I want to go to chapter four. Uh, it's page 47 for those of you that want to dive in or follow along. But there's a key question in the middle of that page. Do you understand why you want to be an entrepreneur? You know, the success rate of entrepreneurship, you know, everybody kind of has an idea of how wildly risky it is. But why focus on why in this chapter? And what are we going to learn out of this chapter? Well, it's the single most important decision that you make that correlates with ultimate success. It's always my first question. Well, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? You can be all sorts of things, but you're choosing, you know, one of the hardest things in the world to become. Why? And most people naturally have a superficial answer to that question. I think it would be fun. Gee, I want to make some money. I have an idea. Uh, there are others. But these are ultimately not 
your real reasons why you want to be an entrepreneur. These are your front of the brain justifications for you actually wanting to be an entrepreneur. And your real reasons have to do with who do you want to impress? Who do you want to get back at? What situation are you fearful of ever getting back into? Those strongly emotional reasons are the things that correlate with entrepreneurial success. And if you've got one of those real drives, you're proving something to yourself and to the other people. If you're going to dedicate your life to proving that, your chances of success go way, way, way up as an entrepreneur. So it's an important question to answer. Yeah, it really is. And you make the point here in this chapter that understanding that why is so important because a great idea is not enough. Why? Now, that's one of the big myths out there because ultimately all ideas morph on the way to the market, mm. especially as you start talking to potential customers and Every single entrepreneur that's, you know, when they start talking to customers, find out that the customers have a different point of view on what it is that you think you can deliver to make them happy. And they say, nah, you know, I really need this or I want that. In the book, I tell a story of one of the great ideas of the 20th century and the inventor of the transistor who was showered with as much money as he could ever ask for and was able to recruit the smartest people to come and work with him. And yet he never was able to produce a single device, the best idea ever in the hands of somebody who doesn't have awareness of what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur is going to fail. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We're not going to be able to hit all of these chapters, but before we go any further, you know, you throw out a name on the cover of the book, a couple of names like Sam Walton and Walt Disney. You know, it's interesting. I want you to talk about what you learned about Sam, because, you know, we think Walmart and the sheer size of Walmart for some is intimidating until you go back and you realize how Sam started and what he started with and, and why he started. What do you reveal about Sam Walton in the book? I know you reveal a lot, but what can we learn about his journey? Well, his journey is such a pure journey. And it starts from very humble roots. And, and I was very fortunate that the Walton family and the Walmart Museum granted me access to all his papers in their archives. Mm. And so I could literally see what he saw when he was making early decisions and later decisions on how to grow Walmart. Mm. And we think of Walmart, and it is the largest corporation in the world from a revenue point of view. And yet he started it in the simplest, most basic way possible. He bought a bankrupt retail franchise in a small town of 3,500 people. And it was all the money that he could you know, borrow from his in-laws and that he had saved up with his wife. So they buy it and he quickly realizes this business really is going to go bankrupt. He needs to do things. And, and he made improvements every single day of his entire life mm. in how Walmart operated. He had the fastest rate of improvement, 
that the world has ever seen in how he figured out how to please his customers and make them happier and happier, literally on a daily basis. It's such a simple and pure story about how Sam didn't rely on technology. He was all about listening to the customer, asking very basic questions, keeping his instructions to the people he worked with very simple and straightforward. It was always about, well, how much did we sell today? And you know, how does it compare to what we sold a year ago? And gee, how much uh, stuff do we have back there in the stock room that we need to be selling and putting out on the shelves? And uh, what do you hear from the customers? What, what do they want? And why did that thing sell so well last week and your sale item this week aren't doing so well? Simple questions. And by asking them relentlessly over and over again, that's how you create the biggest corporation in the world. What was so unique about him other than you gave us uh, some insight into the question asking, the consistent drive to make things better? What else can we learn from Sam Walton? And, and for our listeners, those that want to get the book, what question does he help personify? So he was not afraid to ask questions. Mm. Matter of fact, he admitted that he got most of his good ideas from his competitors or other stores. So after he spent, you know, time in his stores on any given day, he'd go visit other stores and he'd walk right up to the managers and say, hey, I'm Sam Walton. I own a little store in Bentonville. And I noticed that you're doing a great job on, you know, selling this. How did you get that idea? Because he was offhanded and he complimented the managers of these other stores, they'd almost always tell him. And they'd show him what they were doing in the back room and he'd compliment them and the like. And then he'd go back and tell his store managers that. Matter of fact, every Saturday morning, every single store manager as they were expanding would get together either in person or on the phone and they'd compare notes on what they'd learned in their stores and in their competitors' stores, and they go and do it. And so you can't be afraid to ask the questions of the people that walk in your stores, but also what is working elsewhere. This is the job of an entrepreneur is to know. You have to be really good at what you do in order to deliver the customer's enough happiness that they willingly open up their pocketbooks and give you money in return. This is serious business, and you can't be a shrinking violet about it. That's right. And, he, and I assume because he was constantly asking questions, he really had his finger on the pulse of what was going on. And that's so important as well to make sure that you're continually adapting, certainly as you're trying to grow and expand. Exactly. And he also knew how well his competitors were doing, not because he could sneak a peek at their books, but he understood who were running the better stores and who were not paying enough attention to their stores. And so when he ultimately moved out of small towns, but we're talking like 20 years after he started his right. first store, you know, 20 years later is when he starts taking on Kmart and Target. Mm. But boy, oh boy, was he prepared for that. Yes, he was. All right, the other big iconic name that you mentioned on the cover of the book, absolutely one of my favorite people in history. What a fascinating man, Walt Disney. So what do you share with the readers that we can take away about Walt Disney? 
Well, Walt Disney had probably the exact opposite style of Sam Walton. He was great at asking questions and he knew everything that his competitors were doing, but he was all about innovating and creating entirely new entertainment experiences. First with simple cartoons and then with the very first talkie cartoons and then the very first animated feature length films and then ultimately with theme parks that people had never even dreamt of. And he was all in in creating these incredibly creative experiences. And so that was a riskier thing to do. And indeed, he came close to running out of bit. Well, he went bankrupt Mm -hmm. uh, his very first time when he created his first animation studio in Kansas City. And he was basically almost run out of town because he had borrowed money from so many people. But then he goes and gets the help of his brother in Los Angeles, who was a former bank teller and really cared about money and and made sure that Walt didn't go out and spend it, you know, uh, (laughs) all at once. And the two of them made a great team. And Walt couldn't have done it himself. He needed his brother Roy to be fiscally responsible. And yet they still were on the verge of bankruptcy quite a few times because Walt, in creating these never-before experiences, wasn't very good at predicting how much money they would take. And so they always took two or three times more money than anybody expected. And hey, that's a common story still today in Silicon Valley. Well, but he was so committed. Talk about his commitment to the experience. And that's why he spent so much money and almost ran out of it. He was creating something that had never been seen before, but he also had this hard driving, and what I've read about him, this hard driving standard that it be really, really excellent. And at some point, even though it was so different, it really did become iconic and his business iconic because he created something that had never, ever been experienced before. Well, he asked the hard questions, you know, and he was very in tune to his own emotional reactions to his work. So he wasn't a person that thought everything he did was great. He would put it to the test and he'd love to be criticized. And he'd do experiments on how to do it better and better and better to the point where it felt right. And it felt right not just for him, but for others that he would bring in, that he came to rely upon because they would tell it like it was. And these incredibly high standards that he set for himself and that others set for him, he worked relentlessly. He often slept in his office, often, throughout his entire career, he often slept in his office. And he would do whatever it took to meet those high standards. Mm. Here's a math refresher. There are only 24 hours in a day, so you and your team need to streamline time-consuming tasks to focus on the activities 
that make money. Smart businesses are realizing that to reduce headaches as they scale, they need NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform. With NetSuite, you can reduce IT costs because it's cloud-based. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one source of truth. It's a big deal. And You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, saving time and cutting manual tasks and errors. So join the more than 37,000 smart companies like Ramsey Solutions that have done the math and are boosting their efficiency with NetSuite. And right now you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to drive the right behaviors for your business absolutely free at NetSuite.com slash Ramsey. That's NetSuite.com slash Ramsey to get your own KPI checklist. This episode is brought to you by Trainual. Even when you're great at running the day-to-day, a lot of leaders struggle to delegate. But delegation is a critical leadership skill and empowering your team by building that skill just takes having the right system in place. Well, Trainual is that system, and it's a game changer. Trainual is an easy-to-use app that helps document and organize everything about your company in one place. Clear outlines for every role and responsibility, step-by-step training for all your SOPs and employee handbook content, an org chart and directory, you can build accountability tests. Employees can even use Trainual's powerful search to answer their own questions. Companies using Trainual are cutting training time and related costs by up to 75%. Get started with over 300 templates and their world-class support. It's time to get your entire team playing from the same playbook. Visit Trainual.com slash Entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year with code Entree15. That's 15% off at T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash Entree with code E-N-T-R-E-1-5. What do you want the reader to do as they walk through each of these chapters? Obviously, the stories, which you just touched on a couple, as they begin to see, okay, the questions, the who, the what, the why, the what if, and they read this. And one of the things I love you do, you do notes at the end of the book from each of the chapters. What do you want this book to be for our audience, these entrepreneurs, men and women who are building companies? I want it to help them succeed. And the single most important thing is to figure out why you're doing it. But then once you figure out why you truly want to do it, then it's about preparation. And it's not about having some high IQ or some high EQ. There's no special trait that correlates to entrepreneurial success. It's really about that dedication and then doing whatever it takes to be prepared to make your customers happy. And so each chapter goes through and sort of says, here's how much you need and this is how good you have to be and how you know whether or not you're good enough at doing what it is that you aspire to do and when's the right time. And so I want to just lay it out so that everybody really understands how to significantly improve their chances of success. And this is something that, again, there's this myth, you know, well, one in 10 startups work and nine out of 10 fail. 
But the truth of the matter is, for bedrock entrepreneurs, it's uh, more like three out of 10 succeed. And if you prepare, that chance of three out of 10 can increase to better than 50-50. And then the odds start swinging in your favor. So the things that we talk about in the book are all things that have very high payoffs. Yeah. And there's no guarantees. You're never going to guarantee that. But the reality is, is you've laid out a formula here that can really encourage people, even if they're not in the process of starting up. What about the small business leader who feels like maybe they're stuck or they're still uh, moving along the path? They can take some great truths from this book and apply it and start winning today. Exactly. I have a lot of entrepreneurs that contact me, reach out, and the most common reason they reach out is because they feel they're stuck. Mm. And just reading this, virtually all of them come back and say, wow, you know, this really unlocked some of the things that I was doing to hold myself back. Yeah, it's incredible stuff. He is Derek Leto. The book, Building on Bedrock, What Sam Walton, Walt Disney, and Other Great Self-Made Entrepreneurs Can Teach Us about building valuable companies. There's so much more here, chock full of goodness. One of the things I love about what you do, I want to brag on this for you folks to go get the book because at the very end of the book, walks you back through each of the chapters, calls out a lot of the keynotes, things like that. This becomes a really valuable resource that I think you can turn into a manual to really build your company. So great stuff. I know you're busy. Appreciate you being a part of our program. We're much better for our conversation. It's been a great pleasure, and you guys do such wonderful work, and it's a real honor to be on your show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Again, Derek Leto, the book is Building on Bedrock. You can go get that wherever books are sold. All right, Entree Leadership bringing you a great free resource this episode, the Entree Leadership Growth Assessment. Now, here's the deal. If you want to grow your organization, one of the things you're going to have to be intentional about is developing your leaders, not just developing yourself, but developing your leaders. We have an assessment consisting of four attributes that you can use to help you begin assessing your team. Those attributes are rapport, credibility, trust, and influence. This is an excellent guide that will lead you step-by-step to developing your leaders better. Text episode 280, that's episode 280, episode 280, text that to 33444. Or you can get the link in this episode's show notes. It's episode 280, entreleadership.com. Click on podcast. I love it when one of our Ramsey leaders comes into the studio and shares their personal wisdom, knowledge, their journey. And Brian Williams has become a dear friend. I'm so excited that you're going to get to hear this conversation. Here is Brian Williams. Well, Brian Williams joins us again. And Brian, good to have you back. And I'm excited about our time together because we were talking just moments ago. And this is great context for the conversation we're about ready to have. But over the last is it three years, four teams? Did I get that right? Yeah, four different teams. In okay, the past three years. four different teams, three years. You're in a leadership position. You were on what we call here in Ramsey World our operating board. So you're it's the top level of leadership across the company. And you have had to jump in for different reasons. I just want you to give the quick snapshot of the four situations, without all the details, but what were the four situations and why were you coming into those situations? So the end of that 
the end of the beginning really was the creative team that that I've been on for that's right for 10 years and kind of started that from scratch and grew that up to a really large team. And so that was kind of a sustaining success. Yes. And it was working really great. Then we kind of moved into a startup model, uh, Christy Wright's Business Boutique, mm-hmm. and I got the privilege of being a part of that and get that started. And so that was building a team from the ground up, taking the highest level of idea and starting to create a business out of that. Then shortly after that, one of the leaders left a product team that was really in a lurch. And so I got to jump in with yeah. that kind of get the team reshuffled and pointed towards a vision and moving forward. And then here recently kind of brought that team with me as we kind of pulled together multiple products, multiple teams into the financial peace division. So that's currently where I'm sitting as the the EVP of financial peace. And so what we got there is you have a launching situation, you had a leadership vacuum situation, this current situation, similar to the company growing a little bit of restructuring over there Mm -hmm. in that particular world. And okay, we need a leader there that's going to kind of bring it all together. So I'm curious, I want you to address this because I think this is good for leaders that are listening in that are in this role, Mm -hmm. in a new leadership position, or Maybe they're a senior leader and they're looking for somebody to bring over maybe from a different part of the company into another role. What have you learned about coming from one area into completely different area? But in a leadership position, you're not coming in on the ground level. You're coming in at the top. Yeah. The biggest thing I can say is listen. My first day in the Every Dollar team, I cleared out a conference room, made it my office, bought a couch just specifically so I could start pulling team members in, have them sit down. And ask them questions. The people on the ground are the ones that really know what's going on. And all I have to do is listen and learn. Mm -hmm. And then from that standpoint, I get the context I need to help formulate, okay, this is where we're going. And so I assured them right out of the gate, we're not going to make any major decisions for a while so that I can get my bearings because it would be short-sighted for me to come in and Mm -hmm. tell them this is how we're going to run the business that you've been a part of for so long. And so listen. And then from that standpoint – Start to formulate who are the people that have influence, may not be in a leadership role, but have influence, and then start to use them as your sounding board to get your ideas of, hey, how does this weigh with what we were talking about? What about this? And then from that standpoint, you can see them start to light up of like, A, you've heard me, B, you really care, and C, we're going to start moving this in the right direction. And from that standpoint, then you start to broaden your spectrum of communication out to the rest of the team. Okay, I'm so glad you took us to communication because I want to hang here for just a bit. I'm listening in here and I'm wondering if what you just described as a process of listening when you came in into a new role as a leader, Mm -hmm. does that also work for somebody who's listening right now going, we're not communicating well as a company. I've not done a great job of this. It could be better. Maybe we're even unhealthy. Do they do the same situation here? Do they kind of pull everybody in the room and go, okay, I'm going to prove to them and I'm going to actually start listening? I honestly think it's harder when you've been there for a while. Right. Because at that standpoint, like you've kind of got your rhythms and like there's a mess in the corner and everyone's Mm -hmm. kind of ignored it. At that standpoint, you need to push the reset button at some point and pull the team together and go, okay, we're making a change. You know, remember like when you were a kid and your parents would have that family meeting and inevitably (laughs) like it was significant because Mm -hmm. something was changing. You're going to have to do that kind of standpoint when you're coming in fresh you have that right. that benefit of not having context. And so when you're sitting down, people don't think like, what's the ulterior motive? Right. But the ultimate answer is yes. You've got to do something dramatic and you've got to do something consistent to communicate well to your team of, I hear you and here's where we're going. And I think those are the two critical aspects to kind of reset and start driving forward. Okay. So 
let's go then back to the end of your answer. Now you're communicating as a whole. What is healthy communication in your mind? What does it look like within a team? I think it's something that's fairly consistent. So on the regular, I'm meeting with my entire team once a month. So we have a big company-wide get-together where we do once a week. After that, once a month, I just hold my whole team back and we sit. And it's really kind of boring when you think about it. It's the stuff that you're doing all throughout the month. And it's just, it's updates of here's all the things that are going on that apply to the vision that we've set forth. So you reset your vision and you talk about the tactics that have happened. And so for my team, I've got a sales team, I've got a marketing team, I've got a development team, a product team. And so each one has a little bit of a facet of that vision. And independently, they don't know what the other team is doing. So it's just a constant rhythm of consistent communication. And then we leave time for question and answer at the end. And that's really where the beauty of it comes out is because once there's a some semblance of trust, they'll start asking, but what about this? I heard this. This is where we're going. And so you can kind of dispel those things that have come forth and really start to push the team together. Yeah. I just want to make a note to those that are watching and listening. What Brian just described is true communication. You're clear. The leader is clear. The leadership is clear to the entire corporate body, if mm -hmm. you will, the family. But after you're very clear on what needs to be said from the leadership position, you also are still in a posture of active listening. Absolutely. So that is true communication. Just want to point that out. We don't see that in a lot of companies. Here's a question we get a lot, Brian. How do I get my team to care as much as I do? I mean, we get this at our events. And, and, and by the way, it's a great question. And mm -hmm. I mean, it comes from a spirited passion. And so I'm going to throw that big question. We get it a lot. How do we, and is it possible? So if it is possible to get them to care, how do we do it? I mean, to say, how do I get them to care as much as I do? I think it's possible. Maybe it's naive in leadership yeah. to go, yeah, absolutely, you can do that. But to care almost as much, isn't that as much a win? Yeah. But the reality is, like, you've got to seriously, individually care about your people. And on the other hand, you have to care about where you're going. And if you don't, how can they? But back to your question of, like, how can I get them to care as much as I do? You have to align what they're doing with the why that you set forth and then show them how what they're doing applies to that vision. And if you can connect those dots, if it's the guy in the mailroom, Dave does this brilliantly. He talks about if you're doing a line of code, if you're shipping a book, we just tried our best to take a page from that playbook and break it down all the way across the team and go, this is where we're going. And this is how what you do applies to that vision. And if you can get on board with that, then it makes that day's work that much easier. Yeah. See, I love what you just said there. And I'm going to throw this out there. I think, it, I guess it's possible. I hate to say that anything is impossible, but the reality is, is you said something that made me think if we can get them to care deeply, that's good enough. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're a founder that you can get somebody that will ever care as much as you do because mm -hmm. of the nature of the fact that you're the founder. However, if they see how much you care and they see how much you care for them, then mm -hmm. they go, I'm going to care a lot because of how much he cares for this mission Absolutely. and this vision yeah. and how much he cares for me. I think you can build a winning organization with that much care. Man, I would go to battle with that every yeah. day of the week. Well, I think that's what we've done here. I think to Dave's credit and to the board's credit, I think we have, and I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying we got a lot of people around here who care deeply. Absolutely.
And then we see the result of that. Mm-hmm. So it really is great. And, and this is really about communication and constantly understanding. I'm going to tee you up to talk about this. The last thing I'll ask you. From time to time, Dave will mention the fact that we're crusaders. What does that mean? Why does he say that so much? Why that word? I think a crusader is somebody that's so focused on the end result. Not just where we're going or the goals we've set forth, but the end result. It's the people on the other end of this. It's charging the hill so that we can affect lives. Like you go out in the halls and you ask anyone here why you do what you do. It's because the single mom stands in the lobby and does her debt-free screen. So all else fails. We're changing lives. Now, if we have an argument about how we're going to get to where we're going, that becomes the deciding factor of, well, how are we going to get to that mission faster? Okay, well, then we can come to an agreement and move forward. It's that aspect of it's not me, it's not you, it's us together and how we're going to drive towards mm-hmm. that common goal. That's a crusade yeah. because it's so much bigger than me, my leadership, my career, my trajectory. It's what we are doing together as an organization yeah. to affect change on the outside. That's exactly right. We're all purveyors of hope. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter what role you are, whether you're on a mic like I am or you know these amazing guys in the booth that make all this happen. It's all about hope. We've got to give people hope, hope that you can build the business that you dreamed of, hope that you can pay the debt off, whatever it is. So great stuff. Brian Williams, thanks for hanging out with us. This yeah, is good pleasure. stuff, a good reminder of what we need to know about leading teams. We appreciate it. Very cool. Thank you, bro. Big thanks to Brian Williams for stopping by. You know, one of the things I love about Brian is he's probably one of the most humble leaders I've ever met. And he's a guy that if you were to meet him at one of our entree events and not stand there and have a deep conversation, you'd think there's no way that guy is leading because he fades in. But I I say that because I want to encourage, one, you extrovert loud leaders to not overlook the quiet ones. And for you quiet ones, if you think because you're quiet, you can't lead, well, you're wrong. So there you go. There's my public service announcement to all leaders of every shape and size. All right. Infusionsoft is bringing you the office automation guide this episode. Now, data out there says that entrepreneurs spend 68% of their time managing daily tasks instead of working on business strategy. Now, this is dreadful. It's just awful. We all hear that data and go, oh, boy, that's bad. Well, there's a way to get around it. Infusionsoft is giving you this ebook, the Office Automation Guide, and they're going to help you understand how small business owners can save time and money by automating many of the tasks that suck up their time during the day. That's routine communication, administrative tasks, appointment scheduling, and so on. Once you can automate some of these tasks that eat up so much of your time, you won't believe how effective you can be in your business and on your business. So if you want to get it, go to infusionsoft.com slash office dash automation. That's infusionsoft.com slash office dash automation. Or you can get the link in the show notes, episode 280, go to com. click on podcast. Hey folks, last episode, I asked you to, however and wherever you listen, to share, like, and subscribe. You've done it. Thank you. Keep doing it. If you haven't done it, This is the point where I want you to feel a bit guilty because we give you so much great content for free. The least you could do is share, like, and subscribe. What are you waiting on? Come on. Am I asking too much? I think not. All right, that's going to do it. On behalf of Will, the producer, Tim, the engineer, and the entire Entree Leadership team, thank you for listening. We'll talk with you again very soon. 
Hey folks, I want to make you aware that we have other great podcasts from Ramsey Solutions. Here's a sample of Christy Wright's Business Boutique podcast. Hey, I'm Christy Wright, and I help women all over the country take their ideas and passions and hobbies and turn them into profitable businesses. If you have an idea in your head or a dream in your heart, and you've ever wondered if you could make money doing it, I'm here to help. Join us on the Business Boutique podcast, where we are equipping women to make money doing what they love. If you'd like to hear full episodes, just search Business Boutique in iTunes or go to businessboutique.com.